This is Five on Three. Center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Five on Three, WFUV's NHL podcast, back to finally put the wraps on the Jack Eichel situation. Tyler Mooney, Thomas Quigley here, and gentlemen, the day has finally come. Jack Eichel is a Vegas Golden Knight. And he's no longer a Buffalo Sabre. And Friday, he will get the next surgery, and he will come back as a member of the Vegas Golden Knights. Tyler, I'll start with you. I Vegas, they just put their name in everywhere, man. Every everywhere, every free agent, every trade to be made, Vegas is in on it, and it's it's unlike anything we've really seen in the league, and it's been true for five years now. Yeah, you you said it. Every single time, there's a big player that seems to hit the market, whether it's wanting to be traded out of their city or hitting the free agency market. Vegas always seems to be one of the top two, two, three teams in there. And it seemed for the past, you know, week or so leading up to this Jack Eichel trade that Vegas was starting to solidify themselves as the front runners. It seemed like it was either going to be Vegas or Calgary, and ultimately the Knights got it done. And I think this was a great move for the Knights. You're getting, fingers crossed that this surgery goes well, a premier elite player in the NHL. And for the Sabres, you know, they were in a pretty bad situation. Kevin Adams was really in a no-win situation having to trade a player like Jack Eichel with the little amount of leverage that he did have. But I thought that for what it was worth, the Sabres got a pretty fair return, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, it's finally over. It's finally, finally done talking about it. So we're still talking about it. Um, but now for the Knights, this is, it's so crazy. Like the, for a fran- or a, an expansion franchise to just, what they've done in the past five years I mean, just the first season, obviously, being way better than anybody expected. And they've already traded four of their five first-round picks that they've taken in any draft, I believe, already, which is just something crazy. Like, you definitely wouldn't have thought of that. As an expansion franchise, usually you want to, like, you know, stock those picks but um, and build for the future. But they're building for now. And even though, basically, their entire, you know, front line is, is injured right now, uh, they're a super team when they come back. Uh, so it's just it's, it's a waiting game for them, uh, and I don't know if it'll be this season, but you know next season with a full healthy lineup, they are a very scary team. It's interesting, Quiggs. You mentioned it. You look at how you would think you'd build an expansion team. You would think you'd say, okay, let's get all these young players in here. Let's get maybe a, a good goalie, which they have and had, obviously with Mark Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. And, and let's be a spunky young team with a bunch of guys on entry-level contracts. Well, they traded Nick Suzuki to Montreal. They traded Cody Glass to Nashville. They traded, traded Eric Branstrom to Ottawa. Those were their three first-round picks they had in the original draft. Then before they even got to the 2018 draft, they traded that one to Detroit. Then this Peyton Krebs went to Buffalo. He was their first-round pick in 2019. Their 2020 and 2021 picks are still on the team for now, and their 2022 first-round selection went out the door with Jack Eichel. So that's that's what you were getting to, and I think it, it it's very very interesting because a lot of general managers highly rate and highly covet their young prospects, right? We've seen it with uh, in pretty much every sport, and you can think of a thousand examples. And certainly, the Islanders not going after Mark Stone because they wanted to protect Noah Dobson and Anthony Beauvillier is a, is a recent um, a recent object in that. The Rangers not getting Jack Eichel is a recent example of that. I think Vegas under a pre, underrates whether and that's and I'm saying that in a good way underrates 
their prospects to the point where they are willing to go get Mark Stone, go get Jack Eichel, basically, and Max Pacioretty, their entire first line, basically no matter what it takes. They do not care about Nick Suzuki. They care about winning right now. What that means for the future of this team is when these guys all retire, when this is all over, and Pacioretty is getting older now, Stone is has an injury now, and Eichel obviously with his, this team is going to be terrible. They're going to be easily the worst team in the league in five years. But for right now... They are easily the most fun, and next year, maybe not this year because of all their in- injuries, but next year they are the favorites of the Western Conference because, for my money, they've got the best line in hockey now. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun to watch this team. And, yeah, I'm not sure we'll be able to see them at 100% this year. The timeline for Eichel's surgery, it's going to They're saying varies. three months yeah, for him. Yeah. I think it's Stone that they're more concerned about. They, they think he yeah. could be out for the year. He could be out for the year. Obviously, Pacioretty will probably come back at some point, Carlson, but I'm very excited to see the cap navigation tricks that the Vegas Golden Knights are going to need to do because as of right now if they had an entirely healthy lineup they would be over 10 million dollars over the cap so I mean you got to think that a player like Riley Smith he's a UFA at the end of the year you have to think that there's no way he he might not even be able to finish the season at Vegas if some of these guys come back healthier than and sooner than expected so a guy like uh, Nick Haig I believe he's a free agent at the end of the year so it's going to be very interesting to see what the Vegas Knights do but I think it is something that, you know, going into the expansion draft a few years ago, we certainly would not have predicted that they'd be just willy-nilly firing off and trading these first-round picks. But, hey, they have an elite team, and getting a player like Jack Eichel, getting players like Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty only makes them an even better team. So I think if you're a Knights fan, you have to be super excited. And if you're an NHL fan, because you said it, the Vegas Golden Knights— if they're not the number one most exciting team to watch in the NHL, they will be once they're healthy. What could be more Vegas than <laughs> absolutely living for now and not worrying about what happens exactly. later? Or just completely using it as a tourist destination. Everybody who goes there knows that they're on a short leash and might just be sent out the next year or, or you know the next month. Or making this trade at 4 a.m. Vegas time. Exactly. So, I mean, they've kind of lived up to their, their uh, entire city just... I don't know, like everything about Vegas is just everything about this team. And I think it's it's going to be fun seeing Eichel on this team because of how flashy he is and because of how flashy the team's been just since they started. Um, I think he's going to be a great fit there. And, you know, when, it, when they're all together, when that first line's together, they're, they're going to be absolutely electric, and I can't wait to see that. They have 11 players making $5 million or more this season, including Eichel and Stone, who obviously are on LTIR now. But if both of them come back, they'll have 11 players making $71.65 million, which is 87.9% of the cap. That's quite a bit. That is a lot. I think they, I believe they have, when all those guys come back, they'll have the second highest percentage of their cap locked up in four players Yeah, right behind the Toronto, Toronto Maple Leafs. So, of course, yes. Here we go. <laughs> here, here it is again. I, They have a lot of young, I think that they're just a better built, they're a better coached team than Toronto. I think that they... They have more of a chance to succeed with kind of the similar situation than Toronto does. Um, I I tend to believe it's going to work because Vegas, if they've taught us anything, they've taught us that all this ridiculousness that Bill Foley has done as the owner of the team, Quiggs, has worked because the 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 expansion draft was a crazy day with all the trades. and Now, <clears throat> they're still using that to their advantage too. By They, they used Alex Tuck as the main piece of this, this trade back to Buffalo. It was Tuck, Krebs, the first-round pick, and a second. They they have proven that all the crazy stuff they, they do 
pretty much works 99% of the time. Obviously, they haven't won a cup yet, but they've been more successful than just about every other team in the league in the playoffs. Yeah, and a lot of people were attributing their early success to just the way that the expansion draft was set up with their just ability to just take up any player they want other than, you know, the ones that are secured um, from all 31 other te- well, 30 other teams at the time. Um, and now they get to directly uh, kind of refute that because the Kraken basically did the same thing and they're just sitting at the bottom of their division and they don't really look like they're going to make much of a run. So uh, it's really a testament to the way that this front office is just completely playing for now. And, I mean, we'll see if it completely comes back to bite them. It really really seems like a will. But, um, you know, it's the Vegas lifestyle. You live for now. And, honestly, they're building a, a lot of hype around a franchise, and it's best if you can do that early on so that you, you know, establish a fan base. And then if you end up, you know, sucking, which – Every fan hates, but you already have that fan base solidified, and it's already a destination to go. Even if even if they do stink, they already they're not playing very well to start the season. But I, it's still an absolute bucket list of mine item to get uh, to a Vegas game. So Absolutely. they've done that at least, and they've really made themselves uh, a top destination for you know any anyone players or fans. Absolutely, yeah. Everybody b- building the team and making it good at the beginning is is the best way to draw in fans and that's what the knights have absolutely done and i i you know i never really liked the the idea that oh the knights just got lucky the 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 expansion process was was tailored to them because you know the alex tuck situation is a perfect example minnesota voluntarily gave away alex tuck yep that's just the vegas golden knights front office and and scouting staff being smart and just being better at their jobs than many other NHL front offices. And I think the moves they have made in the past three or four years since they've come into existence have only emphasized that point that, no, this wasn't just, sure, you know, maybe it was a little bit of of a tailored system to the Knights, but they absolutely took advantage of it, and it wasn't solely based on that. This front office knows what they're doing more than most. And to your point, Quiggs, that Seattle didn't do that, to both of your points, right? Because Seattle... Could have taken a pick in order to not take Max Delmi from Columbus. That's obviously the example that got the most attention coming out of that expansion draft. They could have taken Max Domi, or they could have taken a pick and a, another play and a different player. But they just took some random guy off the bottom of the roster. And it's like, at some point, you have to learn your lesson in terms of yeah, okay, maybe they're not going to give me a first round pick to protect Max Domi. But that means I got to go take Max Domi. If you're going to get out of that expansion draft. As Seattle without any picks, I know we beat this horse to death over the summer, but if you're going to beat that, get out of that expansion draft without any picks, that team needed Vladimir Tarasenko and Gabe Landeskog and Max Domi and Yanni Gord and Jordan Everly, which they have, but they did they they followed suit for like four teams and not for all of them, and I think that that is kind of the frustrating part because they certainly could have been a really good team um, with an they they kind of caught lightning in a bottle with expansion draft and a flat cap era where a bunch of teams couldn't afford their players and they were willing to get rid of them and. They did that with Jordan Eberle and Mark Giordano and Yanni Gord, but they didn't do that with Max Domi and Gabe Landeskog and um, and um, the other guy I just said, Vlad Tarasenko. So that's kind of, you know, Seattle obviously has pr- not proven yet that they're going to do the same kind of thing as as um, as Vegas is, but maybe they'll prove us wrong with that. Um, speaking of the bottom of the Western Conference, Chicago fires their coach, Jeremy Colleton. The former New York Islander was... Therefore, parts of four seasons, and when I say parts of four seasons, he never actually got a full 82-game se- season behind the bench because he came in the middle of the 18-19 season. Obviously, the 19-20 and then the 21 season were shortened because of the pandemic, and then now he's fired, I think it was 12 games into 
this season, 1-9-2 where they were, and now they're 2-9-2. They won their first game with Derek King. Uh, it seems like he got two weeks longer leash because of all the other things the Blackhawks were dealing with, Tyler, and um, this was... Uh, you certainly were not going to get good odds betting on Jeremy Colleton first coach fired early in the season. Yeah, I think he probably would have been fired even sooner if they uh, if that whole scandal thing hadn't come out. And I know the Blackhawks probably didn't want to fire Jeremy Colleton as close to this scandal coming out as they did. But, I mean, at this point, the writing was on the wall. And for Jeremy Colleton, man, I just... I. I do feel a little bad for him. I don't think he was really ever put in the position to succeed. We've talked about it very extensively on this podcast, how the Blackhawks' front office seemingly has continued to believe and push this idea that the Blackhawks can still contend and make the playoffs and make runs, which it just it just isn't true. And that has been proven not only this year, but in the past years. And I think if you're looking back on Jeremy Colleton's tenure as the Blackhawks' coach, his crowning achievement as the coach when they knocked off the Oilers in that play-in round might have actually, in the long run, been worse for him because it, it furthered this notion that, okay, you know, this team still can compete. And then they go in and they bring in guys like Jake McCabe, who has been bad, and, and Seth Jones with that contract is already might be one of the worst in the NHL, and it's hasn't in even, year one. Hasn't even started yet. Actually. Oh, my God, yeah, it hasn't even started yet. <laughs> And then you bring in a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury. Granted, they got him for literally pennies on the dollar, but you had a guy last year in Kevin Lankinen who pretty much came out of nowhere and was one of the biggest surprises in the NHL. He had a really solid season. And then you bring in an aging goalie like Fleury. They brought in guys like Andrew Shaw. So I think that if the Blackhawks had just committed to a full-on rebuild and a full-on development, we could have maybe seen a different story end up for Jeremy Colleton. But I think the the... The pressure from the Blackhawks front office, which really made no sense to compete, and also Jeremy Colleton, that team never really put it together on term. They were still a mess defensively, which was the problem that got Quinville fired. So I do feel a little bit bad for Jeremy Colleton, but he's very young. I'm sure we will see him behind an NHL bench again. Yeah, I mean, he's only 36 years old, and like you said, he inherited a team that was definitely past their prime and really didn't really have much of a chance to, you know, repeat what they did earlier in the decade or at least this past decade. Um, but now, I mean, this is this is their rebuild. This is they're fully committing now. They got an older coach in uh, in uh, what's his name? Derek King. <laughs> uh, Derek King, and uh, he's a lot more hands off. Uh, Colleton was, you know, kind of like he's kind of a hardo. And um, and when it comes to rebuilding, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't seem like. A team that's you know about to start you know rebuilding, they don't really need someone who's gonna be you know on their butts all the time. Um, so I think it's it's a step in the right direction. Uh, they're finally admitting that you know it's time to move on, and um, you know kind of cleaning house. Uh, <laughs> if you're if you're the Blackhawks organization right now, you just want to turn the page as hard as you can. Oh my can. god, 100. percent So, and I think if you ask Danny Wirtz and the owner of the Blackhawks, if you could go back and change, obviously if you say go back and change one thing, he would change what happened in 2010, of course. But mm-hmm. in recent, I think they should have just cleaned house after last year, because then all of this we're not talking. There's no way they trade for Seth Jones if if Stan Bowman isn't general manager. Jeremy Colleton doesn't get fired 12 games into a season. He never had a prayer of making it through. This whole offseason, the theme has been, what the hell is Chicago doing? And they could have said, you know what? We're stopping it right here. We're, we're, and what they did was they listened to Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze. 
and they said the the Blackhawks sent out a similar letter to the to what the Rangers sent out a couple of years ago, which is we're going to stink for a couple of years. Stay with us. We'll be good. It will be good soon. Obviously, that's working out for the Rangers right now. The Blackhawks, when they sent out that letter, Kane and Taze walked in and were like, "Ah, we don't want to go through a rebuild. You got to trade us." And like, well, you're getting paid ten million dollars in the middle of a pandemic. We're, we can't trade you. And then they said, "Well, then you're going to try to win a Stanley Cup for as long as we're here." So that that's kind of where it's gone and. That, that's kind of something that's been a talking point, in, certainly in the National Football League with Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, and they want to have input into the front office. And I think that this is kind of the cautionary tale, is the player, to a fault, is always going to want to win a Stanley Cup or a Super Bowl or a World Series or whatever. The team has to understand in this situation that signing a defenseman to a $9.5 million contract, trading for a $7 million goalie, is not going to actually help you win a Stanley Cup in with the players they got. It's not, they should not have listened to Kane and Taze, but they did. And now with a new general manager, a new coach, a new everything, because they completely cleared house, um, they're they're stuck with Seth Jones for the rest of the time. And Kane and Taze are going to be gone in two years. So I think I think that this is the first, the, the I guess this is the third year that the Blackhawks are going to be bad, and it's the third of, of a lot, yeah. in my estimation. It's a, it, fe- it feels like this is the official start of the rebuild because last year you know they were a decent team last year I think last year was out of the four parts seasons that were that Jeremy Carlson was a coach last year was probably the best one they saw a lot of development from young guys and they did they were a decent team they didn't completely bottom out and, and finish at the bottom of the league so uh but to give out all that money in this offseason and then not even 10 games into the season or about 10 games into the season the wheels have already completely fallen off it's it's literally worst case scenario for the Chicago Blackhawks and yeah this team is going into a rebuild that they should have already gone into but now they're officially committing to it with a lot of money tied up to players that you don't want to have on rebuilding teams you don't want to have that much money tied up on a rebuilding team which is why Eichel got traded in the first place to bring it back to the first part is the Sabres knew they couldn't rebuild with and Reinhardt and Ristolainen as well you can't rebuild with these long term expensive contracts on the book. You can't rebuild with four years of $10 million taking up that much of your salary cap. So as much as we kind of crushed Kevin Adams for weeks, like, dude, just do it, he had to trade Eichel eventually. So he did, and, and the the rebuild starts now for Buffalo with the first round with Owen Power last year, and they're obviously going to hope to get Shane right this year. To me, they're doing it much better than Chicago is, and the bu- Buffalo, they can't even sell half the building. People are still going to these Blackhawks games. I can't imagine why. Why would you go to these games? I I, I don't know. I can't figure it out. Then the the shutout streak or sellout streak. Yes, just that ended. ended. Yeah, that ended at the beginning. That ended before the investigation was released. So that ended because they were bad. And then the investigation came out, and then they sold even less tickets. And it's gone down since. And they won at home against Nashville. They have two wins now. Arizona got their first win, so there's no winless teams. Nobody's going 0-82 this year, although Arizona was going to put up a nice fight there. I thought Arizona was going to go much longer without losing, without winning, I should say. But that is uh, that is Jeremy Colleton, the first coach gone in 2021, I know. Shocking. <laughs> um, who's been the most surprising team, good or bad, so far, would you say? Cause it's got to be the Sabres. Yeah, I feel like. I think it's Detroit. Detroit has been just as good as Buffalo. And Lucas Raymond, who was their first-round pick ooh, this year, I think. Yeah, this this past June. 
was has been absolutely fantastic. And he was a guy that they're like, oh, you know, we're going to take him, and he's going to be great eventually, but he's not going to be good for another couple of years. He's been so good, they have to use their entry. They can't slide his contract. He's burned an entry level year this this year, and he's up there with uh, Bertuzzi and Larkin, obviously when they're not in Canada. And um, he's been absolutely fantastic. For me, it's Detroit, and they, they bolstered the net with, with um, Nadelkovic, and I cannot say that name, <laughs> and Thomas Grice, and uh, they've been really fun to watch, man. And with how poor Boston has played, and... You know they're only a, they're tied with Tampa and a point behind Toronto in the Atlantic Division, and I think that that is absolutely incredible for a team who two just two years ago was if that game had gone that that season had gone eighty two games they might have set the record for at least amount of points yes. in the season. So that to me it's Detroit. They've been they've been fun to watch for the first time in how many years? That's the Stevie Y magic. Yeah, I guess so. I've been surprised with the the Oilers. They're nine and one. I mean, I know I picked yeah. them to finish second in that division, but that wasn't really because the Oilers were good. That was because that division is bad. I thought they'd be a decent team. I didn't think they'd be – I mean, are they first place in the NHL right now? They're probably uh, behind I the think, Panthers. I think Panthers are first, yeah. So they're sec- uh, they're tied with the Hurricanes for second. Yes. So, yeah, I did not think that uh, the Oilers would be as good as they are with Miko Koskinen and then eventually Mike Smith and that. I mean, the regular season is their postseason, so we should be overachieving in the regular season. But I will say the Sabres, given with like what that franchise is just there, like going into the season, morale was in the absolute dumpster um, with your your star player that was supposed to be, you know, your your messiah, basically, uh, just completely at odds with ownership and wanting a trade, not being able to play in, in, in any near future. Um and they somehow just got out to a, a fantastic start um, in spite of that. Uh, I'll, I'll say that that's pretty impressive, but no, I mean, you have a good point with the Red Wings because it's been a long time since there's been anything to root for in Detroit hockey and hockey town. So uh, it's good to see, you know, at least two t- franchises that are should be, you know, I guess have, you know, Northeast, you know, they have like big fan bases, except for the Sabres, yeah. can't really sell out right now, but. It's good to see at least some turnover there, but yeah, no, I I would definitely agree. And one one team that I think would also enter that conversation is Calgary, and they they've won two of their games against the Rangers, and that's where we'll go next. The Rangers are the first team to beat Florida in regulation, and I don't think that's that that is something we should gloss over. That's a heck of an accomplishment. What we talked about last week was how the Rangers are going to win games in one of two ways this year. They're going to win the game like they won the Columbus game, which was being very tough to play against. They played some good defense, got a couple goals. I think they, I think there was a shutout involved in that game, and it was a really solid game. They're going to win it that way, or they're going to win it um, the way they beat Seattle, which was they let Igor Shosturkin make a gazillion saves, popped a couple goals in, and won 3-2 to or 2-1, to whatever it was. For the past week, it has been... The Rangers have played some of those high event hockey in the entire National Hockey League. They uh, they were up four to one against Edmonton, blew that lead, went back up five to four, blew that lead, and lost six to five in overtime. They lost six nothing to Calgary, and last night they're up four to nothing. When almost blew the lead, it was four to three. Florida almost scored right at the end of the game, and to make it four to four, um, but they did not. They got outshot. They had less than twenty shots last night, I believe it was. was forty five to eighteen. Forty five to eighteen. I couldn't remember if it was 48 to 15 or 45 to 18. 45 to 18, they got outshot. Spencer Knight, the goalie for Florida, was was not great. Um, 
and but Florida was able to to pull it pull it together at the end of the game, almost pulled it off, but but it did not. We mentioned this last week, Tyler. It's a little bit of a reason for concern, but they're flying up the standings. They're having a great start. If they can kind of fix this, Shesterkin's going to be the reason they get in the playoffs, regardless of how they play, and he's been the reason that they're seven three and three. Absolutely. I mean, it is a reason for concern, especially this trend now of blowing leads in the third period. They blew a 2 nothing lead to the Canucks in the third period loss. They obviously fell apart against the Oilers, no thanks to Connor McDavid with the goal of the year. And then last night, up 4 nothing, completely in control, and they got shellacked in that third period. That was an entirely Florida-controlled period, and they are lucky that that game didn't go to overtime. And I think we're seeing what the Rangers are going to look like on the nights where their goaltending isn't at the elite level that we've seen from Igor Shosturkin to start the season. Uh, I got to talk about Alex Georgiev because he, what a fall from grace. Two years ago, we're, we're, we're talking about this guy potentially being able to be traded for a first-round pick if a team gets desperate at the deadline, they need a goalie. He was linked to Toronto at the time. Colorado. Was Colorado. And now, I mean, this guy is at the level where he might not even be a serviceable backup right now. He's 1-2 this year. He's got a 426 goals against average, an 860 save percentage. And that Edmonton game, I mean, the McDavid goal, okay, it's 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 McDavid. Like, what are you going to do? But some of those goals, the OT goal versus Dreisaitl, I know Dreisaitl was alone, but it was five-hole. He let in, I believe, Pugliarvi, one of his goals was just a slap shot from the right from the right circle. If you're an NHL goalie, you got to hope that you can make some of these saves. And if you're the Rangers, I know they didn't play the tightest game defensively, but if you score five goals in the NHL, you should expect to win. And now this is two out of Alex Georgiev's three games this year, the other one being versus the Capitals, where he's looked completely lost, like like he couldn't stop a beach ball. And it hasn't really been an issue because Igor Shosturkin has been as fantastic as he's been. But I think it could absolutely become an issue if you see Shosturkin falter a little bit and all of a sudden this goalie tandem that the Rangers supposedly had was one of the best in the league. The other half of this goalie tandem does not is not playing at NHL levels right now. Yeah, I mean with Gorgiev, obviously that's it's a small sample size, just three games. Um, so we've seen him, you know, over the past what whether it's three, four years, I forget how many years he's been with the Rangers, but he's always been a terrific backup. Um, even you know when Igor was first coming up, it was kind of you know a, obviously Igor was the the heavy favorite to take over the team, but you know Georgiev was really kind of holding up the the goaltending when when Henrik was falling off near the end. So, I mean, we'll see if he can rebound. I still have faith in him a little bit. Um, I don't think that, you know, a, a cold start should necessarily be an indictment on his entire career and whether he's still serviceable as a backup. Um, but Igor's just been ridiculous. And he's going to be the reason that the Rangers make the playoffs this year. Uh, I don't think that the Rangers can really keep up this pace that they're on, but I still think they're a playoff team, uh, mostly just because of him. And obviously they've gotten better all around. Um, but I, I, I think that even like, I'm, I, I want to talk about last night because there was some strange, I don't know, obviously Florida insanely resilient and you can never stop playing against them, which the Rangers completely did for most of the third period. Um, and they completely let them get back in that game, even though it was only near the end when they scored those two goals to get within one. But with, 
maybe it was like 40 seconds left in that game, there was a penalty called in the Rangers. And they had already, the Florida had already pulled their goalie. They were up six, five, six on five. I don't know why you don't at least try to get a, a stoppage there so you can go up on like six on four because they just kept the puck, which is like, all right, maybe you want to keep that momentum. But at the same time, you have 40 oh, seconds Oh, yeah, you left. have to give Tanner over the puck. You, you have to. So Florida's holding the puck six on five. Six on five. The second the Rangers turn the puck at six on four. Right. Yeah, you got to give the puck to the Rangers. But, they but the Rangers are going to They kept it. Gonna poison. Uh, it's going to be poison. Right. But... So take, I mean, I just shovel, like, I don't know, just put shots on net. I don't know yeah, why, like, they, yeah. they they were, like, still passing it around, and it just didn't look like they really had a clue that there was a penalty call. Maybe it was just, I don't know. In the moment, it's it's tough to make a decision like that. That's a It's a kind of strategic play, but that was strange, and I think the Rangers really benefited from that because it was so, I, I was on the edge of my seat. I was, I was ready to literally just scream out loud at the TV sitting alone in my apartment. <laughs> Um, but luckily they, they hung on and if, if that's the way they're going to win games, I, I might need to get some sort of prescription. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't think they can keep that up. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely, that was, that was your take that you teased last that night? That was my take. That was my take. <laughs> I, and, and take. I completely, good, like, no, you, you know, I was in the middle take. of something, I, I, I ran out and I was like, you know, I'm just going to throw this take in and that's what I did. <laughs> there you go. It's a good take. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, no, for sure. That, and Florida... <laughs> Florida's been really good, and that that's a heck of a win for the Rangers. I don't want to take anything away from them, and obviously, Tyler, you don't either. I, I don't want it to come off like that. I'm just having like watched some of these games, most of these games, the way that they're playing is not conducive to an 82-game season being successful. No, it's, it's not sustainable at all. It reminds me last year, I know we've talked about how you know all my friends are Flyers fans. The Flyers got off to an amazing start last year, and... They weren't necessarily playing the best hockey, and I, people, a lot of people were saying, okay, you know, it's good they're winning now, but if they don't fix these underlying problems, the wheels could fall off the bus, which is exactly what happened. The wheels completely yeah. fell off the bus, and that reminds me a little bit of what's going on with the Rangers right now. I obviously hope it doesn't happen, and yes, obviously, they're 7-3-3 and three and three or whatever. I think they're second in the Metro. They're, they've had their best start in years, but I think, you know, we can... It, 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 on one hand, you know, it is a new coaching staff. There are still a decent amount of new players. Give these guys time to gel. I'd rather them start off this way with a new coaching staff than the way they started off, you know, Elaine Vignola, I believe, the first year with him, although they did make the cup. The Rangers were not a good team the mm-hmm. first month of the season. I believe they started like 3-6, and 3-7. and seven. So things obviously take time when you're bringing in a new staff and implementing a new system. But I think you can't just get at the same in the same vein, you can't completely just look at the record and say oh they're fine because there are definitely issues like the goal scoring sometimes the offense dries up there's still defensive lapses in the zone that we've seen the last week and now this new trend of completely falling asleep in the third period I mean three of the worst third period games that a team can play the Rangers have played in the last week so I think these things definitely need to be fixed I'd rather them happen in November than in April but they need certainly, to be fixed. Certainly, I will say last second. Uh, just want to like compared to the last two seasons, it's fantastic that they're getting points early because they've started Absolutely. very oh slow yes. the last two Absolutely. seasons. Absolutely. And then you know when it when it's time for like you know the stretch, the playoff stretch when you're trying to get in, they're coming really close. They're putting it like like last year. I mean, they shouldn't have even been close, but they they went on an, an absolute run near the end and. Uh, if they just had some points early in the season that they, you know, secured, absolutely, they would have been in the playoffs. And I hope that you know that's the case this year. Even if they fall off a little bit, they still have that 
to at least you know back up on. Absolutely. So the the Panthers go to New Jersey tonight. They play the Devils, who are back home after their West Coast swing. They're five three and two, man. They're they're holding serve without Jack Hughes. It's been a really impressive season for them. Um, uh, Miles Wood is also about to get his surgery, so I think that will that will benefit them as well. Um, this has kind of been a fun, spunky team in in the Metro. Everybody wins every single game. Literally every team wins every single night. So I think that they're definitely going to need some a little bit of momentum here. And um, playing Florida is not exactly the way to get that. But they've been fun. And I think that that's all you could have asked for out of this team going into the season. Mackenzie Blackwood was pretty good in his first game. He wasn't terrible. Um, and Bernier has been very good uh, in his first uh, five starts. So, to me, I don't. They're not going to make the playoffs, I don't think. But hey, why not have a little bit of fun when your team is rebuilding? I think that's what the Devils are doing. Exactly. Yeah, uh, the goaltending has been Jonathan Bernier has been a pleasant surprise, and now they do have Mackenzie Blackwood, their number one goaltender. I think that not having Wood and not having Hughes has that's definitely shown. They they were struggling to score this past weekend. They played the three California teams, L.A., Anaheim, and San Jose, and I think they only scored maybe four or five goals in those three games against three teams that aren't necessarily known for their defensive prowess. So I think that is absolutely going to – that might that might come back to haunt the Devils as we move further into the season. But it's been an ideal start for them, and the they had two of their games this past weekend. They had late-tying goals to come back and get points, so – we were just talking about the Rangers. It's so important to get points at the start of the season and to see the Devils be able to show resiliency and get these points. And one of the games they came back and won in a shootout. It's been a great start for the Devils. I don't think you can be upset if you're a fan. No, definitely not. And if you're a Devils fan, you're probably actually over the moon right now. But the fact that you don't have Miles Wood for maybe in the entire season, we, I mean, we don't really know. Uh, it all depends on how the surgery goes and how the recovery goes. But. That's a huge loss. Uh, not having Jack Hughes right now is is obviously also tough. Uh, not really sure when he's coming back either. But to start like this is is something that no one could have expected because this team has just been kind of in the gutter for the past at least four years, just kind of just there, you know, in a, in a very tough division, and it's even tougher this year, but they're really competing to start. And everybody who is a Devils fan or just knows the Devils knows – that they're a very fun franchise. They always have been. Uh, they're they're the the third man out really in the in the in the tri-state area uh, as far as you know publicity goes. I think, but at the same time, I think they they use that to their advantage. And everybody from Jersey is just you know got a chip on their shoulder, and I think this team does as well. Uh, and they're playing like it to start the season. So for New Jersey fans, uh, it's 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 a great sight to see. Obviously, it's not sustainable. Uh, this team is just probably not going to make the playoffs. I'd, don't think they can do it, uh, especially if they don't have, you know, those two key offensive players. Um, even though Hughes is probably going to come back pretty soon, uh, but it's it's a, it's definitely a fun time to be a Devils fan, for sure. And this week they they have Florida tonight, as I mentioned. Their second home game will be against uh, the New York Islanders, who I I shouldn't say like that. They had a pretty good week. They just left me with a sour taste in my mouth <laughs> after Minnesota game, which was really bad. Um, Andrews Lee is on a heater. Brock Nelson scores four goals. In the Montreal game, Montreal, by the way, maybe that'll be a topic for next week because they suck, <laughs> and Cole Caulfield just got sent down to the minors. Um, 
Brock Nelson scores four goals in that game. They dominate in the Winnipeg game, game that probably should have been more than two to nothing in my estimation. And five to two is a little bit of a misleading score for the Minnesota game. I think that was pretty evenly played throughout, and then they put in two empty netters to the Wild at the end. But the Islanders didn't really play a very good third period, so they didn't really deserve to win, to be perfectly honest. Um, we know 11 more days until the inaugural game at um, at UBS Arena, so that's obviously very exciting. They only have, I think, three more games. I think it's the Devils, the Lightning, and the Panthers, right? Devils, yes. Lightning, Panthers, Calgary. Yep. So it's finally coming to an end here. They're 5-3-2. and two. I think they were 3-2-1, and one, right? 3 Three, two, and one. Going go after six games. Yeah. I said, all right. Well, if you double that and you're six, four, and two going into the final game against Florida, I'll take that. Which obviously they are on track to be. So, I think that, you know, they end six, five, and two, six, seven, four, and two would obviously be preferred. Preferred. I can't complain about it. The Minnesota game was poor, but uh, that was Varlamov's first game since May or June, whatever the hell it was. So, I mean, at the end of the day. Uh, Whatever. It's yeah. it's a game against the Western Conference team. Who really cares? Yeah. It seems like they're trending in the right direction. I, I You would probably be more well-suited to answer this, Chris, but I would say that that Jets game was probably their most complete game of the season, and that was... Montreal might Mo- have well, been, yes, Montreal. but they're just a bad team. Montreal, probably Winnipeg yeah. was probably their most impressive game because that's actually a good team. Yes. Um, but, yeah, Montreal was their best game, but Winnipeg was the most impressive game. And the Winnipeg game was just a quintessential Islanders performance. 2 nothing road win. You don't really give up much defensively. And Sorokin, what they did give up, Sorokin was able to easily handle it. So, yeah, I mean, the Wild game was a tough game. But the Wild are a great team going into Minnesota. is never easy to win games. And if the Islanders, I mean, they have to beat the Devils here. If they beat the Devils, then that puts them at 6-3-2. and And... Hey, if you can scrap out a win versus either the Lightning or the Panthers, I think going you know seven four and two, seven three and three through this thirteen game road trip is it's an ideal scenario. And then you got all these home games coming up, which the Islanders are going to be so fired up to play in these games. It's going to be so nice for them to finally be able to play at home. It's so funny that they're playing the Panthers in Florida again. It's their second trip to Florida before they've even played one game. I find that to be the funniest thing ever. But uh, the Islanders, it seems to me they're trending in the right direction, and now they got Varlamov back. Sorokin absolutely held the fort down while Varlamov was out. He had, after those first two games, he's he's been one of the best goalies in the league. So I think if you're the Islanders, obviously we talked about the rough start, but it seems in the last few weeks they've been slowly trending upwards and – all leaning up to this big home opener for UBS Arena. Yeah, if you're the Islanders right now, you I mean, you can't be anything but at least a little bit glad that this team is completely holding serve in a very tough situation that they've really never been, like no other team has been in this, at least in recent memory. Um, so to come out of this with a winning record, we know this team's going to be good, um, but this has just been an absolute slog, and they're not really showing that it's taking too much a hit of a hit on them, um, especially when it comes to Sorokin and Net. Uh, I actually have a question for you if you're not. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know who's calling our phone. I just I just <laughs> muted it there, but apologies. I gotcha. Um, but what do you think they should do with Varlamov and Sorokin going forward? Because Sorokin's think, been obviously unbelievable. Yeah, I think you got to play Varlamov. I think Varlamov should go against the Devils because the Devils – they're the weakest opponent they have in a few weeks here. They have a pretty tough schedule. We mentioned Tampa, Florida, Calgary's been very good, Toronto, the Rangers. So they have they have a tough schedule coming up. So I think Varlamov should go against the Devils 
just to kind of keep shaking the rust because he's got to play one of the two games in Florida because it's a back-to-back. Um, and then he's got to play one of the two games against Calgary and Toronto because that's a back-to-back. So he's going to play three of the next five games in my estimation. Um, they wouldn't have put him in that game if he wasn't healthy because he that, there's no reason for that. So he's got to be healthy. He's got to be one of the guys here. There's no reason no reason to hold him out any longer. Um, it's concerning to me a little bit just because this was the same injury that kept him out of the beginning parts of the Pittsburgh series. So it's like, wow, he played a pretty incredible playoff run with this injury, but he can't play a game in October against Arizona. That's kind of weird. Um, but he seems to be back now. He he played very well for the first 35 minutes of the game. He had a shaky end of the second period, and then he was – that I mean, he only let up one goal in the third period, but it was a goal he should have had. All three goals, it felt like, oh, he probably should have had that. But he made some pretty incredible saves. So I think he's fine. Uh, just got to shake the rust a little bit. But Sorokin, Sorokin looks like the guy right now. He's been him, Shesterkin, and Freddie Anderson have been the three best goalies in the league to start out the season, in my estimation. So I think I think there's no reason to shy away from either one of them. And Trotz, in his whole tenure here, has, has gone with the two goals. So there's no reason that, that Varlamov isn't going to play, get his share as well. Definitely. Um, should be a lot of fun um, headed down to UBS. We, Tyler and I were discussing our plans for the season. We're ready to go Sunday. First game, right? First game Sunday. Going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, so you'll be at the Garden for Rangers-Devils on Sunday. Yep. Colin was there last night. We played a fun night at the Garden. Um, and he'll be there for the Columbus game as well. We have so much good stuff coming up. Um, be sure to stay tuned. for. But until then, for Tyler Mooney, Thomas Quigley, I'm Chris Hennessy. We'll talk to you soon.